Hello and welcome to the Stringer Podcast number 19. Wait, no. <laughs> welcome to the Stringer Podcast number 18. God damn, I should be fired from this shit. I can't even get stuff straight. Mike Angelo is on the podcast this week. I have known this guy for as long as I've known hockey. It was awesome to catch up with him at Mike and Buffalo on Twitter, at Mike and Buffalo on Instagram. You might know him from the sporting news and hockey buzz. He's been covering hockey for a long time. Oh, I still can't believe I messed that up. Oh, well, on to, maybe I won't mess this up, on to the Stringer Big Weekend, because everyone likes the weekend, and we just had a long weekend, but let's have a normal one. Friday, April 6th. You remember Simon Bennett, right? We had him on the podcast, talk lightsabers in Downton Abbey a few weeks ago. Simon's helping head up a fundraiser with proceeds going to Launchpad, which is an awesome spot in Moss Park that provides a place that brings kids of all ages facing issues, problems, or any sort of tough time. It brings them all together and uses sports as a tool for each one to recognize and reach their own potential. It's something very dear to me, incredibly important, and I love that Simon is taking part in a fundraiser to help benefit in this, and I want to support him. There will be a performance by Ever the Bridesmaid. There are lots of prizes to be won. It's just a great time out on a Friday night, and we're going to spend that money out on Friday anyway, aren't we? So why not put it towards a good cause? Friday night at the Duke Live, 125 Queen Street East. The cover is $10, but your $10 is going to a good cause. So go support Simon on Friday night. Saturday, CN Tower climb for the World Wildlife Fund. Ugh. Now it is, it's 6 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. So you got to put on your big boy pants and get out of bed in the morning. It's $5 for each climber plus $100 of fundraising. So we got to plan this, you know, a couple days in advance. But you can climb all 1,776 steps to compete for the fastest time. <laughs> compete to make it to the top is more like it. The CN Tower was the tallest freestanding structure for like, what, a bajillion years? And they want us to race to the top? I'll happily take the participant ribbon on this one. But all jokes aside, the climb has been going on in the city for as long as I can remember, and the funds raised help support species and habitats in Canada from coast to coast. And I'm an animal guy at heart, and one day I want to own a misfit farm filled with all sorts of animals. So in what has evidently turned into a weekend of generosity and giving... I'm all in when it comes to supporting the World Wildlife Fund. So it's Friday giving, Saturday giving. Oh, the CN Tower climb? It's at the CN Tower. So just like look up and head towards it. I'm sure you can find 6 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. on Saturday, Sunday. So two days of giving means one day of selfish fun, right? Franz Ferdinand is in town. Oh, baby. These guys bring me back to NHL 05 and take me out. So I just have one question for you. Do you want to? Well, do you, do you, do you want to, want to, I should stop singing on the podcast. If the answer is yes, then I have the perfect solution for you. SeatGiant.com has tickets available at extremely reasonable prices. And even better, use promo code STRINGER for an extra discount. That's right. If you want to see Franz Ferdinand this weekend at Rebel, just go to SeatGiant.com and use promo code STRINGER for a wide selection of tickets. You can use SeatGiant for just about any event you want to attend in Toronto. Sports events, concerts, festivals, movies at Tiff Bell Lightbox is probably the first place you should visit whenever you want to plan your weekend. But it's Sunday, April 8th, 7 p.m. at Rebel, Franz Ferdinand, 11 Polson Street, SeatGiant.com, promo code STRINGER. Don't forget... 
Also remember that if you have an event coming up like Simon's, anything you want promoted, hit us up on Twitter at Stringer Podcast or email us podcast at the stringers, that's stringers with a Z dot com. And if you don't like your ideas, that's cool. Just visit seatgiant.ca, use promo code Stringer to save a few bucks on all Toronto's events, whether we pump it on the podcast or not. Got all the official stuff out of the way. It's time now for Mike Ogello, podcast number 18. I'm sure of it this time. Cue the sax. gonna kind of start a conversation see where it ends up okay and have some fun with it today this morning went all right yeah. for you yeah oh yeah no problem easy peasy i mean it's old hat now <laughs> i mean you know like i was credentialed with the leafs four games a year for like three years and now i'm doing it every day and I've been driving up the QEW. You know, I've been driving up the QEW, you know, for a long time, obviously, being from Buffalo. Dylan and I were in Buffalo at the arena, which I still want to call HSBC. Yeah, it's, got, it's had four names. It's had four names, and I can't keep track of them all. Yeah. But and I never truly appreciated two things. First of all, how soon the arena is right over the border. Yeah. Like, you just cross the border, and boom, you're there already. Yeah, one exit. And, and then... I always knew how close Buffalo was because I'm like, oh, it's Niagara Falls and Niagara Falls isn't that far. Right. But I don't truly appreciate how easy it is to just be able to cross over and and, and get there. It's great. And I, th- I did think of you right away. We didn't have time for me to reach out to you, but I did think of you. I was like, oh, so this is the drive he does. Mm-hmm. It's a straight shot. Yeah. I mean, it's you get on the QEW and... And there you go. I mean, right. I don't know if we're recording or not. We're always recording. Yeah. Okay. It's a soft, it's a soft start. Mike Agello on the podcast this week. Really, really excited. Mike in Buffalo. And we're here just caught up in what a commuter life is like. I found little shortcuts. I, I, I go through Niagara Falls. I mean, like this morning, it was a Monday. I knew the traffic was going to be ridiculous. So I got on the road a little before six. Holy smokes. Yeah. And I'm not an early riser. No, so. me neither. Um, and I actually made good time. And on these days, weekdays, I will take the go from Burlington. Re- oh, so you'll stop there. Yeah. Get I mean, in your car and jump on the train. Yeah. So you don't have to park downtown or... The, par- the parking now... And uh, the and the the round trip go ticket is about the same price. It's twenty two fifty for the round trip and twenty bucks now for parking all day down there. And I get a chance in the morning to basically close my eyes for forty five minutes and yeah. put my headphones on and listen to some music. Yeah. And after the game, the same thing. And then I don't have to, you know, worry about falling asleep at the wheel. Which believe me, sometimes. When you have a cold or something like that at, you know, one o'clock in the morning or yeah. the music is getting sort of monotonous, yeah. you're, you're ready to nod off. But Especially when on a day like today, if you start at six, essentially, and a game will end at nine thirty or 10, mm-hmm. you'll do your post game, you'll go back up to the press box, you'll file whatever story you have to, to file, mm-hmm. and already 11, 30, 12 o'clock, and then you're looking at a 90 minute or two hour drive home. Right. That... that <laughs> That's an 18-hour, 19-hour day. Mm-hmm. It 
tends to wear on the body a little bit. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love doing it and I'm so glad to be doing it and I want to continue to, to do this until I drop and I'm working for two outlets right now for I've been working for Hockey Buzz who I you know when we met at the Marley's games I've been working for Hockey Buzz for now almost 10 years and uh, just last July wow. I hooked on with uh, Sporting News they have a, a page for Canada so I'm covering the Leafs for them that's incredible hockey I, I didn't realize you're still with Hockey Buzz oh yeah because that uh, again, that's how we first got our introduction. Mm-hmm. And that has to be, if this is 2018, mm-hmm. we must be at eight, nine, ten years having yeah. known each other. Well, I didn't start going to the Marley's games until the year they made the Calder Cup final. So that was 2012. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that was when I, I really started. You know, I, I think I went to one or two games, but basically as just a fan yeah. and then I'm like okay they're, you know, they're this team's going somewhere and I've got to cover them because the Leafs you know they had made the playoffs and I needed something to write about in April and May and they you know that, that lasted until June and I'm sure you still remember the the Mike Koska stanchion double, goal triple overtime stanchion goal which every time I walk into that building I look for that stanchion no, that's the one right there. no it got removed I know no, I know. Uh, yeah yeah but you know the corner yes very very well Ben that's, Scrivens will never live it down no he won't and even though he's had I'd say a steady career since mm. you, you look at uh, NHL playing and then even KHL and the Olympics and the Olympics of course and they had a great outing at the Olympics mm-hmm. I think Canada did um up for interpretation. My theory, and it's I, I've talked about this with other reporters and friends, is that Canada and the U.S. not not as much Canada because I think you know the roster that they put together was mostly ex NHLers. Right. Yeah. It's like I think they were. It wasn't one, like young guys. Right. The roster of USA Hockey was crap. It was terrible. I mean, uh, it was terrible. I mean, there are three goaltenders you've never Tell heard Tell me before. how you really feel. Yeah, no, even people who are like experts at the KHL and European leagues didn't know who these guys were. You know, they had a couple really good college kids like uh, Green Greenway and Troy Terry and, uh, you know, a couple other ones who they hardly played. And they played a bunch of journeymen from the KHL and the SM Liga and the SHL. And I'm like, really? I mean, you could have chose more players from the NCAA. There were young players that they didn't choose because either the NHL teams didn't want them to choose or, you know, my conspiratorial mind was they purposely wanted to suck because the ratings were down. The Olympics, you know, the the IOC couldn't have been happy with the product Maybe right. they were happy with the, the outcome, but they couldn't have been happy with the product because the product wasn't as good. Right. And that played right into the hands of the NHL because I think the NHL wants to go to China in 2022, but they want to be reimbursed for it. Right. They want they want, they want want a more friendly deal, and they're only going to get that if the numbers were down and if the product wasn't as good. So put two and two together. It was the same thing. And to be fair, the, the NHL, because of when it happens, you, it's not the same as the NBA mm-hmm. when you have Olympic basketball. The NHL takes a lot of risk, a lot of risk when you're mid-season mm-hmm. and you have to stop everything for 20 days and lose your top of the top talent. The NHL is loaning out their talent, players that they have under contract, their valuable commodities, and they're not being reimbursed. I don't even think they're being reimbursed for insurance purposes. So 
it's not a fair deal. The NBA get gets a, a, a pretty decent deal from the IOC, and it's perfect for them because it's in the Summer Olympics, and it doesn't conflict with their season. But honestly, I liked the fact that the NHL season just went right on. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe maybe they'll do that without their star players, but I don't think that's fair either. Because no. then, if you deprive the Leafs of Austin Matthews and the Oilers of Connor McDavid for, for a certain amount, like for two a, weeks. A, a, yeah, a finite amount of games, yeah. you can legit decide a season mm-hmm. in February. You know, whether it's someone's going to trail up or trail down. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I, I did work with Major League Soccer, obviously, mm-hmm. and and throughout my time in Major League Soccer. I saw them go from barely recognizing international windows or international breaks, including things like the Gold Cup, the right. Euro, and, and the World Cup, mm-hmm. to building that more and more into their schedule. Yeah. And, and now there's still some overlap where they can't hold for two straight months, yeah. right? You can't stop a season for two months. There is some overlap. But you see those teams who just kind of luck out because, oh, look, the team across the river loses their three or four big guys to whatever countries. And we just have this group where only one guy gets selected and even he is just a role player. And, and, And you see the table shift at that point. We bring up all these dates. You mentioned 2014 in Sochi. Obviously, I think of 2010 in Vancouver. Mm. Uh, 2012, the Marlies go. You've been at Hockey Buzz since 2008. When you are 18, 19, 20 years old, when you're entering the workforce, mm-hmm. what are you entering as, Mike? Because I have a vague idea of, of, of your career path, but it is only vague. Yeah, it's bizarre. When I went to school, I actually started off uh, going for communications, broadcasting. My dream was to be, you know, oh, I want to be the you know, replace Joe Bowen, who's still going so uh, strong, 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 or replace Rick Jenneret in yep. Buffalo. And then I realized, you know, those jobs don't grow on trees. You know, it's like Ben Wagner, who's the AAA announcer for the Buffalo Bisons, and I think he was there for four or five years at least. He's apparently replacing Jerry Hallworth as the as the Blue Jays announcer. Now, you know, he had to. Wait, for, you know, wait, wait and wait and and, wait. and, and do a hundred and what hundred and forty triple A games for five six years and paid his dues and now has got his job. I, I didn't come to that realization. It was just it was actually the, the, what happened was I got an intro to a mass communication class mm-hmm. and two hundred people and they asked you to stand in front of the group and I was like scared out of my mind. Really? Yeah, I was very, you know. I never would have guessed that. Yeah, now the thing is I've got I've gotten over that. And then of course, you know, I, I changed my major from broadcasting or com- communications to history to be a teacher when I'm going to be standing in front of kids in a class. But it's di- <laughs> it's it's different it's because totally different. It's, it's, it's a bunch of no. ignor- ignorant 14-year-olds right. and you're talking peers. about Pearl Harbor or something like that. Right, exactly. They're not your peers, so they're not going to be wise to, if I make a mistake, they're not going to be calling me on it. So why history? My father was a social studies teacher. And, you know, he used to bring like 10th grade European history exams when I was like eight years old. And I would get 95s on them because I was just, you know, I watched Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck and the World at War. So, you know, it's like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I was, I was definitely. Who the hell were you? I was a teacher's son and I loved history. Yeah. So, you know, it was, just, it was perfect. And, you know, I, I still have the World at War on DVD and DVD now. It's a great series. But uh, yeah, so I, I was just, I was into history and I was, that was always my favorite, favorite subject. I was terrible at math, good at English and good at history. And the English obviously has paid off since I'm writing now. Seriously, it pays off. 
Like, it's crazy the way that kind of... And I think it's just the ability to express yourself, maybe, mm-hmm. more than how you form a three-paragraph argument. What I did was, in English classes, I usually wrote about something historical. If it was a book report, I would take a book, a, a his, some history book, and write a report on that. Or sports. When I did a uh, my senior seminar history uh, paper... Which is like a fifteen-page paper. It was an analysis. It was an analysis of the Black Sox scandal. You know, the the, the throwing of the nineteen ninety World Se- World Series by the by the White Sox. And you know, I was I was into it. You had to compare it to something, so I compared it to the Pete Rose uh, being banned from baseball and did this whole thing. You know, it's like I mean, you know, to, to most people, it's probably you know, glaze your eyes and mm-hmm. fall asleep. But to, for me, it was fascinating. So yeah, I so I got a BA in history instead of uh, communications, and I always sort of regret that in a way because I could have worked at the Buffalo uh, the Buff State radio station and maybe taken a different path and I've sort of come back to that path but only by happenstance many many years later after calling post game shows and becoming I guess some sort of celebrity you know it was it's sort of weird because I, I still don't consider myself a celebrity that's right well that's exactly I was going to go that route Mike in Buffalo yeah it's your Twitter handle mm-hmm. And it comes from, we got Mike and Buffalo on the line here. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Leafs versus Islanders tonight? Right. Dot, dot, dot. If there's one, and there's three people I really would have to thank for me being where I am right now, and the first one would be Andy Frost. Because, you know, I started calling the Leafs Leaf talk. Po- right? Leaf talk, yeah. yeah, in 1997. And called it until it went off the air. I was the last caller in 2015. Wow. The last time I called, I was in the in the media room at Air Canada Center. So that's how far I got. It got I got from sitting on my couch in 1997 to being at in the you know in the media room at Air Canada Center, but I was still calling the show because I was loyal to, to Andy. I started calling up then and it was weird that a, a guy from Buffalo was so into the Leafs and had an interesting take, I guess, and also, I guess, and I can't, I can't hear it, but the the Buffalo accent. He, right. Andy, keeps saying to me, like, you know, like, you know, that accent. That's what people, you know, gravitated towards. Yep. And, and and you know, I started calling. They liked it. They liked the fact that I was sober, unlike right. some of the people that call up at, uh, you know, after after, after games, game. asking, you know, trade Matt Sundin for a bag of pucks or yeah. you know whatever. Why can't we get Alexander Ovechkin to play on the wing? Yeah. Or, you know, why doesn't Alexander Ovechkin get that tooth fixed? It's really bothering me. Yeah. So. Topic of conversation. Yeah. You know, it just, it it, sometimes just complete idiocy. So after a while, they said, you know, we'd really like you calling. And I says, well, can you get me through a little earlier? Because I'm paying long distance charges. This was before they had an 800 number. Right. And I'm like, you know, what, what we'll do is you call in. We'll take your number down and we'll call you back. That's how we see, you know, right before your call because, you know, I I couldn't do it. They wanted me to call more often and I was willing to call every night after a game because I was watching the game. Um, And then a couple years later, 2002, I think it was, I go to see a Leaf game against the Islanders and... It got to the point with me and t- me talking on the radio with Andy. I've always had it in my mind's eye. I was just talking to him. I'd never yeah. thought of the thousands the of people audience. that were, right, the thousands of people that are listening. And I said, oh, by the way, I'm coming up to see the Islanders and the Leafs. And he says, oh, we're doing the broadcast at Lord Stanley's Mug. Come on down. We'll, you know, we'll sit you down and have you on the show for a few minutes. 
okay, fine. And I go there after the game and there's a line of people. Waiting. Waiting for me for autographs. I'm like, what the, f-? you yeah, know, I mean, right. yeah, what, what the hell Completely. is going on? Yeah, I'm like, oh, hey, no. Hi, I'm Mike from Buffalo. Yeah, like, what do you want me going? to sign? Thanks, Mike in Buffalo? It's tough enough for me to sign, to sign my name. It's like yeah. my signature looks different every time I sign it because yeah. I just rush through. But but no, I, 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 was, I was just so uncomfortable with the, with the fame aspect of it and that's not what I was doing it for I was doing it because I wanted to express an opinion about the game and for my passion as a hockey fan as a, as a Leaf fan it wasn't to make a you know like and I'm not slagging him or anything but a guy like Dart Guy who goes to right. you know goes to Washington and has a has a Marlboro hanging out of his mouth and all of a sudden now he's this celebrity and they're you know they're propping him up downtown before the games last year in the playoffs and God bless him I mean it's a it's a great thing but you know I didn't I I wasn't here to be a celebrity I was here because I really wanted to get into the media game and I I figured this was the only way I could sort of put my foot in the door was to get on the air, so to speak, like that. I was going to ask you this question, and I think you just answered it. So, 97, you said you started calling? 97. 97, in a way, did you have a plan of attack? I mean, not in 97. In 97, I was just expressing my opinion. and yeah. I, I've, I've been a caller to, to sports talk radio in Buffalo and in Toronto for years. I mean, I remember calling Storm and Norman Rumack on, yeah. on Fan 590, and uh, Jim Kelly, the Hall of Fame hockey writer, he would have a show in Buffalo with Mike Robitaille, a former NHLer, and you know a variety of different hosts. And I would call, and he knew as soon as he heard Mike from Chicktawaga, which is my the suburb of Buffalo, right. he knew it was me. Yeah, he's like, okay, Mike, what question about the Leafs? He knew, and because I would not ask about the Sabers, everybody was asking about the Sabers. Yeah, I don't care about the Sabers. Screw them. I, <laughs> Thank no. you. I think we were all in agreement in no. this room. Well, you, you screw know, the hey, Sabers. I'm, fr- I'm from Bu- okay. I'm from Buffalo, and I'm a I'm a Leaf fan. So imagine the crap that I've had to, especially the fact that Toronto is 30, 64, 6, and 6. When playing in Buffalo? When playing in Buffalo since Buffalo came into the league in 1970. Going down the QEW, not that I ever made the track, but watching the games when the Leafs went down the QEW were the ones I hated the most because I knew we were signing up for a loss, and there's some there's some real stinkers over the years where they were up like 4-1, and then still managed to lose the game. Well, ironically, the Leafs win in Buffalo, it was March the 15th. It was the 14th anniversary of what I consider the greatest Leafs comeback in Buffalo. They were down 5-2 to two in the third period, came back, tied the game with little under a minute left in regulation, and then Thomas Caberlet won it in overtime. We had tickets. Me and my brother had tickets. We were up in the upper level. You know, they were losing 5-2. We're like, okay, let's move down. There's some empty seats down there. Let's change our luck a little bit. We move down. They come back. They win the game. And I'm wearing, it's it's March. It was cold outside. I was wearing this long overcoat type of thing. And when they tied the game and won it, I was spinning this thing over my head. Like, you know, like, you know, like and then, and, you know, and, and, and probably saying some expletives to some of the Sabre fans that were, you know, that, yeah. I don't get that. Leafs are stinking good, aren't you they? Know, you know, oh, I'm blow, sorry you're blow disappointed. Leafs, blow Leafs, blow. You know, they, they, they would run the, the like the video of uh, some Sabre or some 
Habs goaltender with a, with a mulcher running over a pile of leaves and all that. Yeah, this is stupid. Whatever. But you know, can you tell I'm not bitter? And then 2007 with Andrew Raycroft and goal, the Leafs are leading. I think it was four to one. Four to one. I remember this and, game. And Ryan they, Miller on the other side. Ryan Miller on the other Ryan side Miller. and Vanek and Pominville, all these guys. And they ended up, I think it was seven, five or yeah. six, four. It was just, you know, they just eight minutes to go in the third period. I mean, you think that Boston in 2013 was bad, and you, but I think mostly fans were prepared because we've been victim of this suffering for all these years, and I think we have the scar tissue built up on, yeah. on us that we're prepared for. It's like, look at the video. Somebody shot video, it's on YouTube to this day, of Maple Leaf Square, Game 7 against Boston. People were leaving when it was 4-3. They didn't leave when it was tied. They left with two minutes left to go when it was 4-3 because they knew they were going to lose. The film Moneyball resonated for on many different levels with me. But Billy Bean, uh, played by Brad Pitt at the beginning of it, sitting in the stands with his radio, clicking it on, then off, then on. Then That was me when it was 4. As soon as it hit 4-2, TV went off. I wait a couple minutes, flick it on, flick it back off. Mm-hmm. I don't think I saw any of the goals. Flick it on, flick it back off. It's going overtime. You know it's done. And the image will haunt me of of James Reimer because I had a long history with James laying there on the ice after the overtime goal goes in. And I'm like, oh, this kills me more. And I had to, oddly enough, that was the year I was commissioned to do the documentary on the draft Every year they did a one-hour special on the draft, mm-hmm. and everyone wanted it to open up with the fact that they made the playoffs for the first time in X amount of years. And so in prep, I, I went to the draft. The show didn't have to be out for a while. I don't think I watched the game again until August, and I watched it, and I was gutted watching it back months. I wasn't even ready months later to watch it again. It just absolutely killed me. I'm watching that game in my living room, and my boss, Eklund, texts me and says, congratulations on going to the next round. And maybe a minute after I got the text, I think it was Nathan Horton scored to make it 4-2. And I said, this is not over with. This is the Leafs we're talking about. That's all I said. And he's like, come on. And I'm like, no. Watch. And then... The two goals in the last Ugh. two minutes. I, you know, I, I, I was, Ugh. I was, per, I was prepared for it, and I sat watching over the overtime with the volume off because I knew that I had the volume on, and I heard, you know, Houston and Simpson and the voice rising whenever, you know, like somebody had a chance. The way you have to look at it now is if they would have won that series, they wouldn't have Austin Matthews. They wouldn't have True. William Nealner. They wouldn't have Mitch Marner because they would have perpetuated this fixing, fixing fixing a bullet hole with a Band-Aid scenario that MLS and he always, always did. You know, like, oh, we just got to, we got to keep guaranteeing ourselves a, a round or two in the playoffs. And, you know, we can't tank. We can't do this. Well, I'm sorry. You tanked. You got lucky. You won the you won the lottery. You hit the jackpot with 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 Austin Matthews. You know, they, I mean, I think they're I think they're not a contender right now. I think they're a dark horse in a year or two. I think they'll be a serious contender, and then you never know what happens. So, '97, you're a guy who wants to express an opinion. 
02, you're a guy at a Leafs game that meets up with Andy Frost afterwards mm-hmm. and ends up realizing you have a line of people waiting to meet you and get your autograph. Right. At some point, you got to put a plan. Like, when did you cross? When did the crossover happen? Because you said it wasn't until 08 mm-hmm. that you started with Hockey Buzz. But you, there had to be this thought that there's a, I, and I use this lightly, franchise here. I, there's something to be capitalized on. Well, the thing was, I didn't know how to capitalize it, on it. Of the the three people, you know, like I said, I mentioned Andy. The other two were Jeff Merrick and Bill Waters, who hosted uh, Leafs Lunch on 640. Um, and I would call up that show. No, I, th- this was my own personal thing. I, I never, and, and no, it was nothing against the fan, but they treat, you know, 640 treated me like gold. They gave me this platform. They made me famous, you know, whatever. Yeah. So my personal ethic was I was only going to call shows on 640. So I called Leaf Lunch. Loyalty. Loyalty, definitely. Yeah. You know, they treated me well. I'm going to treat them well back. You know, so I wouldn't call other stations in Toronto. And in getting to know Jeff and getting to know Bill uh, on the air and then getting a chance to meet them out, they did like a remote someplace and I drove up for the day and, and met them personally. And, um, you know, I tried to sort of like, okay, he, I'm interested in getting into the business. What do I do? Give me your opinion, that type of thing. Yeah. But it really didn't happen until I got the job with Hockey Buzz. And I got the job with Hockey Buzz because Eklund hosted a podcast that took phone calls. Get out. Yeah. It, it was a podcast that took phone calls. It was a service called TalkShoe that still is in existence to this day. I still use it. It's like basically like a group chat. You mm-hmm. call in and you can edit it and make, create an MP3 out of it mm-hmm. and basically have, have a conference call that, that turns into a podcast. So he was hosting the show the one time, and it was near the trade deadline when you know the 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 Muskoka Five trade deadline, the Matt Sundin trade deadline, and Howard Berger was writing for Hockey Buzz, and he reported that Sundin would not waive his no trade clause, and I was fairly incensed and called hmm. up and said, you know, I wanted to get drunk, but the only vodka that I had was Absolute, which is Swedish, and I refused to drink it. So it's like, you know, I mean, and then sort of that dry circuit, you know, but it's the truth. It's like, you know, I mean, the only thing I could see was they've paid Matt Sundin $70 million since they got him in 1994. And all they're asking him for is to live in a suitcase for two months and they would get a first round pick and prospects and this. And no, he was not, not going to waive the no trade clause. So that sort of fueled my passion and my ire. And I called up Eklund, and he had a co-host at the time. And uh, you know, a couple weeks later, because I was, I started. He said, "Do you want to write for the website?" You know, and he figured I'll tap into this passion. And it was basically as like a guest writer. And yeah. then the guy who was uh, the daily columnist for for the Leafs is a guy named Alec Brownscum, who started Maple Leafs Hot Stove. He left to start the his own website and. Eklund said, do you want to take over the Leafs job? And I'm like, sure. And I'm not, you know, and I was doing, you know, once, two, three times a week at most. Now, for the last three, three and a half years, I've written every day, even during the summer. I write every day because the hunger is there and the passion is there from Leaf fans and the interest is there. So, and I get paid based on how many hits I get. Oh, really? Is that how it oh, works? Yeah. 
with yeah. Hockey Buzz? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I've dabbled in media. Like, I got my first production job at 18. And then it was also right out of high school the first time I had, uh, the first thing I'd ever written, not the first thing I'd ever written, but the first time I was published in a magazine mm-hmm. was also at 18. So I, I had been in and out of the media landscape, both in television production and writing. Mm-hmm. But I remember the crossover when I was legit now working in sports Mm -hmm. and I don't want to say I I was so eager and anxious and willing to learn and willing to help and contribute Mm -hmm. but I there was a something I had to learn there was there was an official change now between Clayton who got to say all of his own things even if they were outlandish and this new guy Chancellor that evolved and came out Mm -hmm. who had to have some structure, some form of, you know, properly formulated opinion. Mm-hmm. As you crossed over in in 07 to 08, mm-hmm. did you feel a change in yourself? Yeah, I mean, yeah? a maturity, a... Well, okay, first of all, when you're a caller to a post-game show, you have carte blanche to basically say anything that's not swearing. Right, anything but profanity. You know, and um, there was a, I think it was I think it was 2007. It was the year after the Leafs. The Leafs had signed Mike Pekka, and he had played I think 40 games and broke his leg. And you know there was talk about them re-signing him. And then the Islanders had uh, bought out Alexi Yashin, and there was talk during the summer that the Leafs were going to sign Alexi Yashin because they really needed some offensive ability and he could they thought that you know he could still play I don't never it never came even close to fruition I think he went to the KHL but I called Leaf lunch and I had heard about this and I it was 07 because I said when I when the uh, Anaheim Ducks won and they won over the Senators and every good red-blooded Leaf fan hates the Ottawa Senators with a passion says when the uh, Ducks beat the Senators I popped open the celebratory bubbly when I heard of the Nick Antropoff signing, which I was against because I didn't think he was that good of a player, he says, I broke open the 12-year-old, 12-year-old scotch to quell my nerves. It says, if the Leafs sign Alexi Yashin, I'm reaching for the syringe. That's what I said. I can't say that no. stuff anymore. I can't, like, you know... You make, can't walk that line. No, you, you know... Cross you, that line. Right. You're not walking you, you it can't, anymore. You can't do that. I mean, I, that's the thing. It's like, am I still a fan? Sure. But I'm a professional now. I'm a, I'm a member of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. I can't carry pom poms into the press box. I have to act accordingly. I can, you know, like in my in my head, nice goal. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I can't, like, yay! You know, you can't do yeah. that anymore. It's just, it's not, it's not proper. It's not right. So people who know have known me for a long time, they're actually surprised. How can you control yourself? You're such a sort of passionate thing. Like, it's because. I want to be here, and the price that you pay for being here is being an adult, is being <laughs> is being an adult and being you know and, and treating it with respect, and that's what I do. It's like I'm I've worked too hard to get into the press box and to do a job that I've is, has been a dream job, and I'm not going to throw it away because I want to pump my fist. You just want to be a fanboy, right? I, I became a big proponent of the tap. I'd use my middle finger when I was happy about something to just like almost nervously tap, and that was my way of letting out that 
that happiness or that nervousness or whatever it was, but it's silent and you can keep your composure in the press box. So if you started with Eklund and Hockey Buzz in 07, Mm -hmm. when was the first time you were accredited? 2012 was my first access for anything. It was for the Marlies, for the Marlies playoffs. And was that frustrating for you during that time? Extremely. Because you had crossed over into a world of doing this professionally that paid your bills, Mm -hmm. but perhaps is either, there's just this shroud that either internet media is not real media, which existed, I remember, Mm -hmm. or the other side of it was, oh no, you're Mike in Buffalo. I think, I think there was a little of both, but I, and I, again, I have to be thankful to other members of the Toronto media, meaning the print media, meaning Sportsnet and TSN because yeah. 99% of them have, you know, when when I was basically, I mean, you use the term, they thought I was just fanboy wanting to be there because, oh, I got in for free and whatever. No, I wanted, I wanted to do this job and I, this is you know, what I wanted to do and I was treating it seriously and they had an open mind because at that point, you know, back in, back in a few years ago, you know, they're probably skeptical of people who are writing for websites. Now it's so common. I think that everybody, it's more accepting, but they were all like really good to me and, and, and I asked questions and they answered it and they were friendly and accepting and, and welcoming. And I was a little scared of, okay, you know, now every once in a while, jokingly, they'll call me Mike and Buffalo. And you know, it's just like, it's, it's, I'm never going to get rid of that. I mean, I use it as my Twitter handle. It's, it's funny, uh, the Centennial Classic last year, we're walking and a couple reporters are walking with me and some fans actually recognized me from the webcast that we do. They recognize me and they're like, "Hey, Mike Jello," you know, and yeah. and you know, he says hello, and I go, well, "I got to get to this press conference." And I'm walking away, and the other two reporters say, "Hey, Mike and Buffalo," you know, like they, they you know, yeah, so they're yeah, sort yeah. of mocking Give me. Was, but it was, but it was, it was all in, right. it was all in fun, and that's great. It's like I, I feel like, you know, I've been accepted. I've broken bread with them. I've gone out for for beverage after the game. It's like it, it's it's a great it's a great feeling, and I, I I don't know in some other professions. I'm not sure. Or maybe even some other towns. I'm not sure if you know people would be as welcoming. I worked through the transition. I was working uh, in mainly print, and I can see it from a team's perspective. That's like, what do, you work for a website, and anyone can start their own website. So we have to let anyone in the door, and that was kind of the early thought because right. you can spot. And give recognition to a globe writer or a star writer because they had to apply for a job, be recognized among their peers as being, you know, of that level. And then you have the whole company behind them saying, we vouch for this person to go do this. So what I'm curious about, because I remember this time, if you're going four years and it's frustrating just trying to be the best reporter you can be. What did you learn about yourself? I think I learned how to write. Well, how I incorporated and how I became a better writer was there was a there was a software that's now archaic. It was called Dragon Naturally Speaking. It was basically <laughs> yeah. It was it was it was a headset with I'm a microphone. Your, I'm take your word on that, right? And you and you would talk into the microphone, and it would get maybe sixty five percent of it right. I had no problem verbalizing what I wanted to 
say, but I had a problem writing it. So what I did was I, I okay, I'll talk this into the computer. And now basically it's like I'm talking, but I'm just writing it. It's I hear my my the voice inside my head and I write that way, and it really it took a little while to to get used to that. But now that I've sort of gotten that, it's you know it's very easy. It comes very easily, so it it, it worked. And but the thing was, if I had if I had gotten access in two thousand nine or two thousand ten, writing the way I was writing. Maybe you, I did. Maybe I wouldn't deserve to be there because you know, being having access, you have to bring some sort of game. I think I, I, I think I'm, a, I think I'm a good writer now, but I didn't think I was a good writer back then. And maybe you wouldn't have progressed in your writing because at that point you just had to focus on one thing. Yes. And that one thing you had to focus on was writing, instead of uh, I got to get interviews and I got to get clips and I got to pick the right snippets and I got to build that into it. Mm-hmm. What's the pound the rock? Do you guys know the adage about Pound the Rock? I'm looking back at Justin, who's here. Hi, Justin. And, and, and Dylan. Do you know the adage about Pound the Rock? It's the, the rappers, right? It was, yeah. it was rap, but I think it comes from something older. And I'm going to mess this up bad. But essentially, it's like, how long do you have to pound the rock until you get to whatever outcome you want? And, and the answer basically is as many times as it takes. And as I said, I butchered that, but I always love the sentiment because much like you, I didn't come from any post-secondary education, but because of that, I had a drive in me mm-hmm. that where I felt I had to prove myself and I just kept pounding the rock, just doing it and doing it and doing it because I don't know how many times it's going to take for me to be on equal level, but it's going to take as many times as it's got to take and I've just got to do it. You can't plan the road that you take to get to where you are, you know, where you are, you have to set to be prepared. And like all the while when I, uh, like nine in 97 going through to 2014 or 15, I was working a full-time job. I was working, get out. I was working at a mortgage bank at bank of America in, in outside of Buffalo. So I was working a full-time job. Plus I was doing writing as a second job as a secondary source of income and when I came up to here, I was taking vacation days. I had or half no days. idea. Yeah, so I mean, holy well, smokes! Yeah, because I mean, as as many people who try to get into the, in the media business, you know, it, it doesn't pay great unless you get to a certain point, and that's you know, and it, there aren't a lot of those jobs, right? There aren't exactly. So I was sort of like, okay, this is a it's a great hobby and a decent paying second job. And then in 2015, I think it was, I'm pretty sure, yeah, 2015, Bank of America moved out of Buffalo and moved their mortgage area to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I got laid off. And basically I said, okay, well, I'm now full throttle on being a hockey writer because I have to be. You know, that's it's either go to work for another bank or, do, or follow my dream, and I followed my dream. And, you know, it's... Working out pretty good. You know, I I wish I was making a little more money, but I think everybody thinks that. Of course. And, you know, but I wouldn't give it up because I've gotten to a point now where, you know, um, a couple years ago I got into the Professional Hockey Writers Association, which I never thought you know that I would be able to. And you know, now I'm working for Sporting News, and because I'm working for Sporting News, I'm at the Leaf Games. Let me know if this sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. This little voice that says. 
Mike, it's fun, but it's not going to amount to anything. Mike, mm. Mike, I know you might like it, but uh, you, oh. you got to make money. Mike, Mike, it's yes. time to get a real job, Mike. Yeah. Oh, I've heard that from family, from friends. Yeah. You know, even recently, because it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go into my personal finances, but, you know, it's... Right, of course. Right. It's it, stressful. Right. It's and very stressful. I'm, 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 I'm lucky in the respect that I'm, you know, I'm single. I don't have any kids. So, yeah. you know, I don't have, I, I just have to take care of myself. Yeah. So, but, you know... Thank and, goodness and, for and, press meals. Right. <laughs> it fed and me it, many a day as being yeah. my only meal. Yeah. And, and you know, so the, my, my responsibilities are to take care of myself. Which I do, um, but you know it, that, that's that's the thing. If if I if I had a family, then I probably wouldn't have had the freedom to do this and pursue it. But I I didn't have a family, so I had the freedom, and this is where I am now. Bless my mom if she's listening. I love you to death. But I remember, I think my first ever interview mm-hmm. ever was Yuri Tulusti. Alexei Ponikarovsky was the second, mm-hmm. and the third I got with only I did never requested. They just said, hey, do you want this person? He'll be available in 30 minutes, was Wendell Clark. Oh, Jesus. And having grown up in Newmarket, not far from the city, mm-hmm. having been born the same year that he was drafted, so I'm very well aware mm-hmm. of the legacy uh, that he has in Toronto. And knowing that I have had one AHL interview and one NHL interview, and this is on camera, yeah. because my first interviews, they were all on camera, I was nervous, and and I, I told my family afterwards I interviewed Wendell Clark, and my mom thought I had lost my mind. Like she thought that my 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 delusion had gotten to a state where I'm now trying to convince them right that I I've interviewed a very famous hockey player. Yes, and that all comes out of a spot of love for my mom, but a spot of safety where she always wanted the safe route for me. Mm-hmm. And, and that was going, because I was, funny that you were a banker, I was in finance as well. Mm-hmm. I worked for several banks, then I worked for a, a, a Bay Street company in their finance department. And it was out of love and wanting me just to set myself upright um, for the future and to have a path that could grow into a very finite outcome. Because media is not finite and I don't even want to say you get as much out as you put in because there's many people who've put a lot in and and, and at some point have to surrender to it is it the fight that's most important you think in a person that 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 differentiates them is it the willingness just to be like well if I have to live on rice and media meals then I'll live on rice and media meal that's the fight again are we just all deranged? I think there's a little bit of derangement. <laughs> in there. I, I do. I think there's a. I mean, you know, I, I, I sleep in your car. Uh, well, well, work for eighteen hours regularly. Well, it. You know, I. I know that, like, for example, and this is something that's becoming more and more prevalent in the media right now, where you know, major outlets are not sent. They're not going to be sending reporters. You know, on the road. I mean, the Toronto Star it was very public over the last couple of weeks. You know, they're not sending reporters now. I think they're sending reporters to the you know, whatever wherever the first round series for the Leafs is, either Tampa Bay or Boston. But you know, not 
sending reporters to games and that landscape is it's it, it's a change it's an ever-changing landscape and that's that's the thing and, and you've got people who have been writing and reporting for 25 30 years and they're used to certain things and now all of a sudden it's changing and you know it's uh, probably in a year or two it's going to change even more because the because you know, websites are more prevalent. The athletic is different. You know, newspapers supposedly are dying, but then you see, you know, there's still some newspapers that are hanging around. It's 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 ever changing. So I think one of the things that we have to be in as media members is adaptable. And I've learned to be adaptable simply because that's you know, if you're not, you're you're just going to be jettisoned. Yep. Yeah, there's no room for someone who can't evolve with the industry, especially, again, looking at the years that we came through and came to the spot that we're in. It's everything has evolved year after year after year. I think and I want to know your opinion on it. This is just an opinion of mine. Mm -hmm. There has never been more of a hunger for media and content than there is now. But what's scaring everyone and why things are going out of business or they're trimming back budgets is no one's figured out. How to monetize it. How to it. monetize it because they're so used to, oh, we get money this way. Mm-hmm. And, and that side of it hasn't evolved. It's not that people aren't reading things mm-hmm. and aren't consuming things mm-hmm. and don't want more from you. You said that you geared up to, to writing every single day and you have a webcast every single day because people are reading and writing it. Mm-hmm. It's how do we shift that into the next gear and and how are we able to employ people? I don't want to make monetizing into this evil thing. No, but it, but how are, do we employ people out of it and how can they pay their rent and, and and buy food? Right. And you know, I know that there've been uh you know what Patreon is uh Yeah, Patreon's a really good one though. Right. Um we Go fund me. Go fund me. We've tried we've tried funding the like the webcast with Patreon and we've had limit very limited success because you know, taking an hour out of your day, and, and it's not just the hour that you're on the on the air. It's also the everything that you're reading and everything that you're watching and educating and contacting people and all this stuff. And you know, if if you don't think that that's valuable, then you know, go find somebody else to do it. You know, because uh, you know, what I'm saying it's like I mean, it is valuable that people have knowledge uh, of of a particular sport. And uh, me and Ackland and another couple guys uh, do this webcast five days a week, and we're, we weren't getting paid for it. So we put put a Patreon uh, thing for the show on, and it's bringing in a little money, not as much as we'd like, but that's that's the thing. It's like you have to find these sort of ancillary sources of income to make just make ends meet. We're just like everybody else, but. In terms of the whole monetization situation, you know, newspapers, you know, print ads are dying. Everybody's, you know, uh, it's internet advertising, but internet advertising doesn't pay that much. Because I don't think anyone truly understands value in views yet. I think it's just the thinking isn't there that the money isn't behind it because no one... probably appreciates how that influences a buyer mm-hmm. I'm thinking I don't know it's yeah a, I, I, I don't have I don't it's have a dark web all, all I know all I know is is that a, a few years ago um, I had an advertiser for my column on the website that was a ticket broker and they were paying me a 
pretty nice sum every month as secondary income. It was pretty nice. And now the it's out there basically that, you know, I couldn't get one fifth of what I get wow. from them. And it's not the website because we're still drawing a ton of traffic. It's just the landscape has changed for internet advertising where they don't think that it's it pays off. But you're targeting, and you know, we're getting a little esoteric here, but you're targeting particular people of a particular age group. You know, like, okay, if you're a ticket broker and you want people to buy tickets for the Leafs games, the best place to go is a column that's talking about the Leafs. The Leafs. Yeah, completely. You know, so, I mean, you would think that that would work, but again, it's like, it, it's the landscape continues to change. I'm curious because the conversation we were having preceding you coming in here was all about legacy and it was legacy in a different sense mm-hmm. but it fits so perfectly you know the whole breakdown it's like how were you originally known you're originally known as Mike in Buffalo mm-hmm. and what were you trying to become you're trying to become you know a mainstay in the media and that's what you did become to the point where you know first of all I didn't know that you were first accredited in 12 I, th- I thought from having read your stuff and known you online mm-hmm. for years prior, I thought you were accredited ahead of that. Mm-hmm. And then when you said you just recently went to, you know, being accredited for every Leafs home game, I didn't realize you were only doing a couple of years before. I, I, I thought you were here again, every single home game. As you look forward, what do you want to be remembered for? Because, and I, that's hard to say at this yeah. point, perhaps, but you've you've had such a great trajectory. Mm-hmm. What's still left to accomplish? Like what what's there for you? You're like you know what? If I could really make one thing work, or if I could really try one new thing, mm-hmm. I definitely would love to explore this. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of room for growth in terms of you know what I want to do involving the media. I mean, being on the radio as a caller is a lot different than being on the radio as a host. You know, I. I've been on a webcast for four or five years. I've been on podcasts and phone calls and this and that for years. I I, I don't think it would be too much of a tough transition to get into radio. Um, and that probably would be something I would like to try to tackle. I mean, but... I'm, you know, the thing is, I would like to do that and do what I'm doing now. I, I right. want to cover the team on a day by day basis. I like going to the arena and you know talking to players. And I'm not like I'm not the one who's going to pepper them with questions all the time. Right. I'm the guy who sort of lays back in the weeds. And if there's something that I want to ask, I'll ask it then. But I, you know, I'm very curious. But I'm also very opinionated. So sometimes what they say doesn't really matter. It's what I think. And there's there is room for opinion based journalism, yeah. and that there's opinion for there's room for that in on on the radio too. Yeah. So, I, I think that that's probably where I'd like to go. But you know, I can't create that scenario. It would have to be given to me. You, Mike, are a force to be reckoned with, and that's what I've always appreciated with you is the fact that in my eyes, and I said at the beginning, I vaguely knew your story. But from what I understood was that you had this idea in mind of of what you can contribute and then you did it. And and then you had an idea that I can contribute more and you did it. And then you had an idea you can contribute more and you did it. And and that's what that's one of the things I respect most in people uh, in general and those are the people I enjoy talking to most. Um, 
because I, I kind of feed off that energy, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. of people who are just, they like to make something happen because we can't always count on someone else to make it happen for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested, once we're done this, we can chat if you have time. Mm. I'm interested in exploring that because I think that would be, I think you're the right voice for it. I think you're the right personality. And I totally listen to whether it's a radio show or or something with you in. I, I would 100% listen mm. because I like your opinion. And I'm curious to see where your mind would bring you would bring the discussion mm-hmm. if our chairs were turned and it was you leading the charge because I would be interested to walk down the road of your mind if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of respect for someone like Steve Dangle who has created his own little niche, you know, out of the the YouTube videos and you know, how, you know, now he's now he's on SportsNet. Now and you know, he is a fan, so he's not playing a game here. He's a passionate fan. You know, he puts on a little bit of a show with the over-the-top stuff, but it's it's funny and it's because not, we can't always talk like that all the time, right? You have a character, right, of yourself. It's it's funny. I I, I get it, and but he's created his own little niche and it works. I know him fairly well now. I've gotten to know him. I did a show last year. And uh, you know he's writing a book about how. No he came. way! Yeah, yeah, and it's it's phenomenal. I'm 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 so happy for him because that's that's that, incredible. That's great, and you know it's like I mean, it's weird because like he sort of has taken the same path in a way, you know, and in sort of inventing himself and and getting into media in a non traditional way. He did it sort of 20 years after, or 10 years or 15 years after I did, you know, where I was doing it and still the, in the infancy of the internet. And he's right. doing it with, you know, when webcasts and all these other avenues yep. are out there. So, you know, I, I'm sort of like the prehistoric Steve Dangle. You in know. the nicest way, yeah. I mean, in the, we're not we're not talking age here. Yeah, no. But, no, but I but, see. You know what? That drive and that vision, yeah. and that ability to succeed within that lane, yeah. A hundred percent. You guys are the exact same. Yeah, and and you know he he does a he does a great show with uh, his partner Adam, Adam Wild, Wild, and yeah. uh, you know it's it, I listen to it all the time, and like I said, I was on the show, and I you know the, see that that gives me hope, even though I'm significantly older than Steve I mean it's possible so I think I think that uh, you know that radio and that even television are looking for sort of interesting characters who can provide something more than just the cookie cutter I mean I- I'm sorry I'm never going to be cookie cutter I think one of, the, one of the one of the reasons why like Overdrive and the guy, a guy like Jeff O'Neill and, and Jamie McLennan and Brian Hayes work so well is because you know they have their own little vernacular they yeah. have their own shtick it's funny. It's humorous. It's but it's also entertaining and it's also informative, and you know that works. Whereas if you just got somebody on there who just talks about well, those all oh, the Leafs play the Buffalo Sabers, you know, no, it's boring. You'll fall asleep. But you know, if you bring something more to the game than just the facts, then maybe you can make make a pathway that of success for yourself. I think Twitter, even though Twitter did not create this twitter has shown this and that's two things first off that information is really easy to come by and can be digested incredibly quickly and we're ready Mm -hmm. to move on right and then the second side of it 
social media has made everyone within arm's reach. Mm-hmm. I can follow my favorite hockey player. I can follow my favorite actor. Mm-hmm. I can follow my favorite director. Whatever it might be, they in a way are attainable to me, mm-hmm. and I can peer into their life. And so the way I believe that's resonated into uh, opinion-based journalism is that people want someone that they feel connected to and they feel is within arm's reach, is is attainable. And that's something that whether he, when he sat down for his first LFR video or when he realized it after three years, Steve really tapped into mm-hmm. that ability that he is within arm's reach, even if you can't see him when you want to, he is someone you can relate to. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why I think when you went to Lord Stanley's Mug, yeah. that's why there was a group who was really interested to meet you because you're attainable to them, because they can relate to you, and you not you don't hold yourself in this highbrow. I went to media school, and so I'm a journalist, and journalist means I'm more important than you. So I have this job, and you don't. Kind of way, right? And yeah. that's in a weird way. Wow, I'm going really existential here. That's what sports brings everyone: mm-hmm. is that hope that the little kid from but fuck nowhere could strap on a pair of skates or pick up a basketball and become the next great thing. Yeah, I, I, I think it was more the fact that I was sort of the voice that they couldn't, exp- you know, the, the opinion or the voice that they couldn't express, you know, that I was, I was speaking for them. Some people don't want to call up the radio. I'm one of those. Yeah. I would have a very hard time calling up to express my opinion. I've had people in uh, the these puck talks events that I've been on panels with, you know, people from Sportsnet and different than different. Have, have you enjoyed those? Oh, I love them. Yeah, me too. I love them. I've really enjoyed I, I, all I of love those. them. Uh, I was on a panel the couple months ago with, uh, with with Steve and with Scott Wheeler from The Athletic and Christian Shilton from TSN. It's, it's a ball because, you know, I'm up there expressing my opinion and, you know, in the back somebody says, you're talking too much. And I'm like, <laughs> thank you. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? Sit here mute? Yeah. That's what you're supposed to do, guy in the back talking. Yeah. Sit there mute. I have an opinion. Not everybody's going to agree with it. And that's fine. You know, it's like, I, I, I don't pretend to say, like, I know everything. Nobody, and only egomaniacs say that. If I get something wrong, tell me about it. Then I'll correct it. And I have no problem saying I did this wrong or I, I, I said something wrong. I'll, you know, I'll be mea culpa and I'll say I was wrong. You know, no, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with being open to being wrong and correcting yourself. Mike, I'm not going to let you go okay. before I ask you this final question because with all the people I've talked to, I've always meant to ask this and I never have and I'm lucky that I remembered it this time. Mm. We get to stand witness mm. to so many uh, neat moments that, that many people watch in highlights later that mm-hmm. they watch you know, on YouTube that they keep, they clip it somehow and they keep it forever mm-hmm. or they put it on their Instagram to share. What's, what's a moment that you can look back on and, and you were kind of, you were that aware at the moment to be like, you know what, the fact that I'm here, this is, this is pretty freaking cool. Um, well, if you're talking about a leaf moment, I would probably say any sport moment. Yeah. Well, well, Definitely a leaf moment. A leaf isn't moment, it? I would say probably you know of an event that I was at would be the Centennial Classic when the yeah. Leafs uh, when Matthews scored that overtime goal. I mean, it was the first outdoor game that I and it's it's ironic. I had tickets in Buffalo 
for the original outdoor win the winter classic, yeah. the Pittsburgh Buffalo game, the snow game. And I'm like, I don't want to sit outside. It's gonna be <laughs> cold. Screw this. I and I and I sold it I sold it to a friend of mine at work for cost, for just like nothing. You know? Fuck you, Mike. Yeah, I know. I'm I idiot. liked you up until now. You know what? I don't want you back. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I, I, I like, you know, whatever. And and then it was, you know, the snow globe and it was every it was everything. And I was and I was supposed to go to the big house in 2014 so um i i i was you know i was credentialed for the centennial classic and i went and i covered it and the, the thing that blew me away even more before the game was going into the locker room when you had the stars of the past with the players of the present yeah and they matched up Wendell and Austin Matthews, first picks overall. They matched up uh, Doug, Gilmore, Doug Gilmore and Mitch Marner. You know, Ally Afraidy and Jake Gardner, uh, Mike Palmatier, Felix Potvin, Freddie Anderson. They, they, it was like, you know, goaltenders with goaltenders or first picks with... It, it was just great. It was surreal because, remember, being a fan, I watched... Lanny McDonald score the overtime goal against the Islanders in seven in seventy eight. Um, I watched Doug Gilmore do the wraparound on Cujo against St. Louis and Nikki Boroshevsky scoring the overtime in ninety three. So like I, I you know that's that was my life. I lived that life and as a fan and to see all of them in that room at the same time with the players that you know I mean they're kids. I mean, I'm I'm as old as I am now, and these kids, you know, these young players are are young enough to be my sons. Um, so I'm not as much sort of like I mean, I'm not as much in awe. I'm still yeah. in awe of like the talent of Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner, but I'm not in awe of the person. They're 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 it's a it's a young man who I need to ask a question to. Whereas Wendell Clark, yeah. You know, I'm about. I'm the same age as Wendell Clark. About, I think he's a year a year older. He was drafted. Yeah, yeah. He was. I think we're. I think he was born the same year. And that's weird because that was my favorite player. And like, I'm idolizing a player who is the same age as me. So that's weird. But that Centennial Classic, the game really stunk until the third period, and then you know the Leafs score a bunch of goals. The Red Wings come back. They blow the you know the Leafs blow the lead. They go into overtime, and then Matthew scores that ridiculous goal. And it was just it was a it was a great event and a great outcome for uh, for Leaf fans for the thirty five or forty thousand fans that were there and I was there so that was that was pretty special. I wasn't there, but uh, I know several who were and I missed it. I missed not being able to go, Mike. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Please come back. And if we can if we can continue this conversation on how we can team up and create something great. Or something just new and interesting. I'm totally up for it. Okay. From myself, from Dylan, Justin, who's here. Hey, Justin. And Luca, who's not here, but is definitely going to hear this. Please, please, please be good to yourself. And everyone, eat your vegetables.